but Jesus is the author. Amen? You know what an author is? He's someone that writes things. So turn with me into Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and we'll begin there. Father, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for touching our body. And Father, others that needed a touch, we've been praying for. We ask you to continue to bless them. We pray, God, that you'll have your way in this service and give us the air to, to speak the words you want us to speak. And we'll praise you for all your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm going to read one verse in Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and then I'll go back to the beginning of the chapter and bring down through there and show you how we get to what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell us in verse number nine. I'm in Hebrews 5 and 9. And it says in Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect. Now, this is Jesus. We'll tell you more about what perfect is here in a little bit. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation and all them that obey him. Amen? He's the author. Jesus is the author. I took a biology course at Ohio State University. And about the third session in there, it was a class I had to take for one hour a day, five days a week, for a whole quarter at Ohio State. And in this biology class, they had required books that you had to go to their bookstore and buy and, and read these books to be up to speed on what was going to be taught in Biology 101. One of the very first classes I was taking when I went to Ohio State, thinking I wanted to be a science teacher someday. Well, that didn't work out, but that's okay. I needed the roots to, to learn to go other direction. So in that class, about the third day of that class, the teacher brought up a subject and was talking about it, and one brave student about halfway back in the class raised his hand and stood up and said, in the book I read, this, 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 and this, and now you're saying that, 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 and that. And the teacher said, thank you for bringing to that to my attention. You may be seated now. He sat down. And he said, now while you're sitting there with that book in your hand, look on the outer edge and see who wrote that book. And he turned and looked and he said, and do you know what my name is? And he was trying to tell the teacher what was in the book that the teacher had written. That didn't go over very well. All right? And I, uh, I learned a couple of lessons there. One good teacher doesn't embarrass his students, but he lets him know when they're out of order, right? And number two, the teacher, just because he doesn't say it the way you think you should hear it, doesn't mean it's not right. So if I say it wrong, listen to the author, amen? So here we have Jesus as the author of eternal salvation. So no matter what I say about salvation, and whatever I do with my salvation, don't make that the benchmark for you in your salvation. There are people that take the Bible and have their pet scriptures. And they just harp on them all the time. Amen? You know how I know that? Because that's how we got Seventh-day Adventists. They believe, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's all they preach. Sabbath day, Sabbath day, Sabbath day. And now we've got Seventh-day Adventists. Seventh day is Sabbath day. And that's all they want to 
focus on and hone in on. There are people um, that, that read that you got to be baptized. Repent and be baptized to be saved. Acts 2.38. Until you've been in the water, they think you're not going to heaven. Well, I can tell you something. Jesus is the author. And Jesus is the one that gets you to heaven. Not the water. And not you. And your works. Amen? So don't pay any attention to all that sideshow stuff that people pull out their favorite scriptures and try to rely on. He wrote the whole book. So we need to know the whole book as best we can to know what's in this eternal salvation that Jesus Christ came to give us to them that obey him. Now you got to obey him too. Not just know it's in there, you got to obey it. All right, so here's what we've got. If there's one thing we need to be right on in our lives, it's our relationship with our creator that designed us to live eternally. See, a lot of people look for God to just to help them get through this life. All right? Paul said, if I, if I get by in this life, I'm of all men most miserable. Amen? You've got to have a vision beyond what this life has for you. There's got to be a vision into the next life. Amen? The book of Hebrews was basically written, as I read the Bible in a, as a whole, as a book that I call connector book. Amen? On Jeopardy the other day, uh, the final Jeopardy category was um, books written by the Apostle Paul. All right? And they all put in their wagers, and I put everything I earned in. I knew I had the answer to that one. Amen? I knew all Paul's writings. And Bonnie and I, I said, sit down, Bonnie, we're going to win this money. We went home broke again. You know why? Because they asked the question, or the answer was, what book did Paul write that has the most Old Testament writings in it? Well, I knew Hebrews has the most Old Testament references in it, but I didn't know that Paul wrote it. So I missed it. Well, and they missed it too. One guy did say Hebrews, and they said he was right. I, want, I just about wanted to uh, reach through the screen and, and grab that little short guy by his necktie. Yeah, straighten him. It doesn't say that. In all the letters that Paul writes, check me out. I'll go back and read them. The first verse of first book of all the letters, you, know, well, you name them, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Rome, it starts out with I, Paul. All right? So that was etiquette for writing in those days. They started out when they wrote a letter and put their name right up front so everybody that picks up that letter to read it know who wrote it. Now, we don't do that. We say, Dear John, if we're writing to John, and then we write the letter, and at the bottom we sign it, Sincerely, your brother dude. Right? We sign it at the bottom. Now, that wasn't that way when they did it in the first century. They put their name right. In Hebrews, it doesn't have Paul's name at the top. And so most theologians kind of lean towards maybe some of Paul's writings there, but they don't 
attribute that book to it. And I blew all the money I'd won up to that point. I went to bed broke one more time. Well, this book is seemingly written by the Holy Spirit for sure to help us tie the loose ends from how to get from what the Old Testament taught to what Jesus is fulfilling in the New Testament. To be honest with you, I know when I ask you to read the Bible through from cover to cover, you're probably going to start in Genesis and read from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation. But to be honest with you, you would understand the Old Testament better if you started with the New Testament, read it all the way through, then turned around and went back and read the Old Testament to see what Jesus fulfilled as he lived his life here on earth. But that book of Hebrews ties the two together. And I'm going to prove it to you here in the fifth chapter, but I'm going to stay on the subject of Jesus being the author. But here we find that in this particular book, chapter 5 deals with the high priest scenario and what the high priest did in the Old Testament. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but I'll go over some of the stuff that was there because verse 1 says, For every high priest taken from among men it's is ordained for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer gifts and sacrifice for sin. Now that's his job. If you sinned, you couldn't just say, God, forgive me. You couldn't just say, I'm sorry. You had to take a gift. And what would that gift be? Well, it depended on the sin that you'd committed. Or the time of festival year it was when they ex God accepted sin offerings. You would take a turtle dove. You would take a goat, a lamb, a calf. Whatever it cut, took to cover, whatever your issue was with God, you took that to the priest. And it was usually some kind of blood spilt something, sacrifice, that he had to kill the animal that you brought, offer the blood on the sacrifice, slaughter the animal, it became a butcher shop, and then part of it had to be burnt on the altar, and part of it taken outside the city, the unclean part outside the city, and burnt outside the city. All right? Now that took place in the Old Testament. But uh, the Bible tells us that all, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. So even in the Old Testament, that shedding of blood was of not your blood. You're the one that sinned, but you didn't have to shed your blood. Some animal did. Or a goat did. He became your scapegoat. He took your place. Amen? So those are the things that the Old Testament teaches us. And first of all, I want you to know that the person that was the high priest that was doing what he should have been doing uh, as far as doing the office of the high priest, he's just another man. He's, he's not anybody special. He's not Jesus. He's not God. He's just another guy out of the crowd. He's the one that needs to get himself, if you would, straightened out even before he can do anything for you. Amen? So he's just another guy too. Uh, he was just, if you would, like the rest of the people around him, except in some cases, God was the one that called him. All right? 
All right, and I'll give you some examples of that, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But he was the one that God used him to connect the people to God. You see how that works? Can you see, in, without me going into too much detail, how Jesus fulfilled that? You know that Jesus now is the connection between man and God? Yeah. All right. Well, Jesus hadn't come yet, but they had to have a connection or they wouldn't have had a chance at salvation. Second of all, God had to be the one that puts his stamp of approval on what he did. And there were even people that God called and said, I want you to do that job. And they didn't do it correctly. Uh-oh, what happens to them, Brother Steve? What happens to a high priest that don't do it right? Uh-huh. Yeah, they end up being a sacrifice. Yeah, God does away with those kind of people. Amen? So if God chose him for the work and he couldn't uh, be someone that was self-appointed, uh, and I have to tell you in my experience, I'm just not bragging, I just want to tell you, I had no idea I'd ever pastor. When I got saved, I just did the best I could, to live every day the best I could, and just seemed like, as I look back over my life, every step I took, seemingly God was getting me closer to being a pastor. I didn't, never did pray and say, Lord, I can't wait till I can pastor a church of 7,000 or at least 30. All right, but nonetheless, I never asked for that. And when it came time and Brother Jack came to me and asked me, would you mind pastoring this work? And I set down some requirements and said, well, I, you know, I don't know if that's what God wants me to do or not, but I wouldn't mind trying it because I think I been around enough pastors and watched enough pastors and listened to enough pastors and, and read enough Bible and studied and I probably could maybe do a little decent job at it try my best anyway so it worked out I got elected and was put into this place here I did not appoint myself amen I didn't even vote for myself I didn't vote at all amen but I got voted in as pastor alright but I appreciate that God had his hand on me all the way through the process. That's how I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. Amen? And third, this high priest, he's supposed to offer these special gifts and sacrifices to God for sin, but he only has to do it for the people. He has to make sure he's right too. So he's got to do it for himself and the people to make sure everybody is in good standing with God. Amen? So on paper, that sounds like a really good plan, doesn't it? Amen. How many of you work a job when the boss comes out and says, we got a new way of doing this, and here's what it looks like, and he'll hand you a sheet of paper, and you read steps one. That sounds so good till you try to perform it, and it falls flat on its face. We have to do amendments, and we have to do adjustments, and we have to do some changes. And pretty soon, it doesn't even look like what was on the paper. But here, God has put this plan together, and all that happens uh, is for every, every priest to be 100% totally dedicated to God, do his job, and that plan would have worked. Well, you're dealing with sinful man and the plan did not work. Amen? But as time goes on, history tells of how the good plan God put in place um, showed up the flaws 
that man could insert into it. Many appointed priests were appointed by man and not by God. Many priests didn't even meet the standard God required, holiness. Amen? In verse 2, it says he himself, right? Both uh, who came, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. He ain't even right. And here he's trying to help everybody else get right. Amen? That's one of those bosses that say, do what I tell you to do, not how I do. Amen? I don't try to do that. I try to tell you, you do what God tells you to do. And if you see me out of step, let me know. Amen? So if you're out of the way, either in trance, uh, either way, the translations, other translations say people that are going astray instead of out of the way there, which basically means he, didn't, uh, he did it his way and not God's way. He just went through the motions, but he didn't do it with godly desires in his heart. Amen? The second thing we found out about it, he himself was, this, it calls, in, uh, compassed with infirmities. He had his own weaknesses. He had his own problems. He made his own judgments. Uh, and he covered his own weaknesses instead of confessing them to God first and then doing the priestly operations second. Amen? All of us think of a time in our jobs when things weren't going as smooth as, as uh, in other areas in our lives and we needed to work on these issues and keep popping up in our mind to keep us from doing the best job we can do. Amen? I, I, I had an a issue this week that somebody asked me to listen to a message that a guy preached. And I listened to it. And I, she called and asked, what do you think of it? I said, sounds like a good plan. It's just not God's plan. Because God's word doesn't say what he was preaching. She said, well, I didn't agree with it. You know, she goes to church there and sits under it every week, though. But nonetheless, I want you to know, just because a preacher says it doesn't make it right. Amen? The high priest was a man also. Amen? He had to fix the roof on his house at home. He had to probably help with the laundry. He probably even had to go to the grocery store when the wife forgot to pick up everything when she was there. Amen? Those things happen day in and day out, week in and week out. Amen? Plus, he had to do all the high priest work, keep everything in the temple in order, make sure all the people were right with God, and still had to come home and get the plunger out and clean up the plumbing. It just happens. Things don't always go the way you want them to go. Amen? So, he's not only heard all of everybody else's problems, but he's got his own set of scenarios and problems. And the kids, they want new clothes. They want a new iPad. They want everything else. And he's got to deal with all those problems as well as all the people coming to the temple. 
So in verse 3, it says, Not only by reason thereof, he ought, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. So he's busy taking care of all those the people's stuff and his own. Hmm. Guess what? Every high priest has feelings. He can have a bad day. He can be preoccupied with his own problems sometimes when you think you've got real problems. Amen? He's dealing with a heart attack and you want to tell him about your toenail ingrown. Amen? What happens then? Guess what? Guess who gets shortchanged in that scenario when the priest is overwhelmed with his own issues and don't have time to hear yours? Hmm. The person who's looking for his own sin to be taken care of and God wants to connect with that person, but God can't work if the connection between that person and his holy high priest don't make the connection first. Amen? That's the shortcoming of some of those scenarios. In reality, everyone loses out. So in verse 5, it talks about someone else coming along. So also Christ. Hmm. Glorified not himself to be made high priest, but that he said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. So here we have with the flaws of the physical high priest, we have Jesus coming, filling the gap for the high priest to get the job done God wants it to do. Amen. In this verse, Christ is uh, not looking for glory for himself, but he did the job of high priest once and forever on Calvary's cross and gave the glory to God where the first high priest should have given the glory in the first place. Amen. But he fell short and now let's look back at verse 4 and see how, it, how the connection was made. And no man hath taken this honor unto himself. But he that, call, he that is called of God as was Aaron. Now, we're talking here about Aaron. How will we use an Aaron to make this connection? All right? Now, Aaron was not the first high priest. But Aaron is the first high priest that God called, all right, after he delivered his people out of Egyptian bondage. Okay? So, it looks like the plan that God wanted to use hit some snags and the people fell into slavery or in bondage and God delivered them from it and now Aaron <coughs> being Moses' brother being there everywhere Moses went walking step for step with him had seen and heard everything God did to bring those people out of that bondage and try to deliver them to the promised land that he had promised them. So he had uh, saw and heard and experienced 
the author's plan firsthand. Amen? And his job was to follow that to the fullest detail. But I just got to tell you, he was a man too. I'm sure from time to time he had to cough. He may have took a coughing spell and couldn't get enough words out either. Amen. There was primes. He didn't feel like he was worthy of the job. Amen. So he passed the torch to his sons. But failure followed. Then we read in verse 6. And he saith unto us, and he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know who Melchizedek was? Of course you do. Melchizedek was a king of Salem. All right, king of Salem, or he's known as the king of peace. Huh, does that ring a bell when it comes to Jesus Christ? All right. But he was a uh, priest that when Abraham went to the slaughter of the kings, uh, went to war, uh, and he gathered up all the things that all those kings stole from Lot and his family down in Sodom, and he took them back there, all of his family, all of his cattle, all everything. As he met that priest, he stopped and gave tithes to him. And then he returned everything else to the people that those kings uh, had stolen, and God <coughs> used him to rectify that situation. That's the only thing we know about Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is even before Aaron by a few thousand years in the Bible. Okay? So we had Melchizedek as high priest. He did his job okay. He only did it once. But he did it okay. But now God's requiring something better of his people. He's got a people. He's got 600,000 walking in the wilderness that he wants to see them do it his way. And they seemingly are hard-headed enough that they still want to do it their way. Amen? So Melchizedek did the best he could. Therefore, the author of eternal salvation added another chapter to the plan. Amen? So, uh, to make it easy for us to understand or to see it, we need to look at the author in terms of writing the plan in chapters. Chapter 1 was Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of peace. He was uh, in the wilderness, and uh, when God delivered the Abraham from that, why, he paid tithes to him. Number two, chapter two, is Aaron. He was the first high priest of those that came out of Egypt, headed towards the promised land. They had a mobile tabernacle, tent. They would set up just the way God said it had to be set up to worship God, and the priest was in charge of taking care of that. And in doing that, he now is responsible for 600,000 people that are walking contrary to God. And he's got the business of taking those people to the altar and to God. That's a big job. Amen? Moses couldn't even handle it, I don't think. He, he worked at it, and even his father-in-law said, you need help, Moses. All right, so that didn't work out so well. So chapter 3 of this author's plan of salvation. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Under the rule of, of Samuel, I'm going to give them a king. They want a king, I'm going to give them one. 
We're going to split the duties up here. All right? I'm still going to leave the high priest to take care of the big issues, but I want the king to take care of all the battles and the fighting and all that stuff. All right? So he split the duties up. Amen. And uh, uh, let's face it. It wasn't the load of the job that was the problem. It was the dedication to the job that was the problem. Amen? Because all of them had their fleshly excuses as to why things didn't work out the way they were supposed to. So, moving on down in history, in chapter 4, God appoints prophets. We got all the prophets that write in there after the first five books of the uh, Old Testament. Then we get into the prophets from there all the way to Malachi. And all those prophets talk about their coming destructions and what they're going to do because of their disobedience, because of unbelief, uh, what God's going to do for those people again. But, again, because of human failures, the system never took root and the people uh, didn't get to the proper desired connection that God wanted them to have. So the author had to come up with another way to connect to them. Chapter 5, the final chapter, is Jesus Christ. All right? In Jesus, we have a high priest that's sinless, that's holy, that's sanctified to God, and dedicated to the calling of God. Amen? Who not only faced every temptation known to man. You know, the Bible says he's seen every one of them. You think you get a temptation that's tough? That's nothing. Jesus has been through that before you. He knows how to handle every one of them. Yeah. Amen? And he was obedient. And he refused to, to let the devil, uh, let those uh, temptations affect him. And it says in the scripture here, and I want to get to that. I told you I'd get to it in verse 9. Being made perfect. Hmm. He had a perfect situation there. Because he followed God to the fullest extent of the law. All right, now I want to get into that just a little bit here. But here we have, he became the perfect sacrifice for our sins because he's already faced the exact temptations that you're going to face. Amen. The devil may paint him a different color now, or he may call him by a different name. But there's no temptation taking you but what God wasn't faithful to his son to allow him to face it and go through it. You can read about him in Matthew the fourth chapter while he was in the wilderness. The devil threw everything he had at Jesus and Jesus turned his nose up and said, I'm going a different way. Amen? So here we go. So he says, I'm going to, be it, I'm going to do it God's way. In verse 8, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Do you know, sometimes experience is the best teacher. Amen. I, I got to tell you, I've got a lot of years experience in working on motors and cars and tractors and mowers. You know, I not only have a lot of experience, I got a lot of scars. I got a lot of hurts. I got a lot of missing knuckles. And you know how that helped me? Ah, I ain't going to do that again. That's how you learn. Experience is a good teacher. Amen? I learned how to use wrenches the proper way. Amen? 
You pull on a wrench and you push on a knife if you ever have the occasion to value your life. See? That's the way it works. And that's how you learn is by experience. Yet he learned obedience through his suffering, the scripture says. I've learned some obedience by suffering myself. Amen. I finally got through high school in my 12th grade without getting a whooping that year. Amen. There's some suffering along the way. But look at the great education I got. Amen. Now Jesus was on earth. His vision was to do the will of God. Even though he was God's son, on one hand, he didn't use that as an excuse why he could be a slacker. He stepped up to the plate every day while he was here, and he did all the things that God asked him to do, and even did the things that a high priest would have done if he'd have been a real high priest. And you want to know something? Some of the biggest fights he had, or arguments, or debates, or however you want to talk about them, you can give them any color name you want, was sometimes from the high priest. Isn't that something? And they both should have been on the same team, working towards the same goal, for the same God, to get the right things done for the people. Amen. Instead, uh, he used his voice and his opportunities to give glory, honor to his Father in heaven so that his Father could reach down and have eternal salvation for whosoever will in this lifetime. Verse number 9 says, being made perfect. Again, that word perfect doesn't mean he couldn't have possibly have made a mistake. No way. Amen. Every test he took in school, he got 100% on. No, that's not what it means. Perfect here is a word, and we've talked about it many times in the Bible. It's not perfect like we talk about it in 2022. It's perfect as though it's mature, or it's come to a place that means complete. Amen? It's satisfying to God in what we do for God. Amen? Can I tell you something? If you've given your whole heart to Jesus Christ when you was 15 years old, amen, and you're 60 now, surely when you was 15 you didn't know it all. Hmm. I know for me, I got saved when I was 25. I started studying right away. Man, I thought I knew, and the more I studied, the more I knew I didn't know. Amen? And now I'm, I'm in my mid-70s. Amen? Now I know I need to study more just to keep up with what I thought I knew that wasn't right. Amen? So it works out that we're not as perfect sometimes as we think we are because we're looking at perfection in the wrong way. I always use the example of an apple on a tree. In the spring, when the blossom comes on the apple tree, it's just a pretty little flower, it looks like. But at that stage of that apple's life, it's a perfect apple. Now, that's not what you'd want to go to the store and pay money for, a nice, big, juicy, red something. But at that stage of that apple's life, it's perfect. It's mature for that stage. But as summer rolls on and more nutrients come from the trunk of the tree, more rain falls on it, it takes in more moisture, then it develops into a little green hard something. 
But at that stage of its life, that's a perfect apple. Now, you don't want to eat it because they're bitter and hard to chew and they're terrible. Amen? But at that stage, it's perfect. And then as summer rolls on, it matures into a larger, starts changing colors, whether it be a, a still green or whether it be a red or an orange or, or even yellow. It could be any color it wants, whatever the tree decides, not desires for it to grow, what kind of tree it is. But eventually, it's going to be what you think the perfect apple is that you want to pluck off, grab a salt shaker, and enjoy the perfect apple. But throughout its life, it was the perfect apple because it was in tune with the will of God in every phase of its life. Just like you and I, when we got saved, that's as perfect as we could be at that time. But as we grow... God's expecting more. You know, we're going to have to get juicier. We're going to have to get more plump. Amen. That's the way it works. All right? That's what perfection comes to. So here we find in the work of Christ, though, there's no place we can put a finger on him and say he was never perfect. Amen? So he learned those lessons, if you would, the scripture says, by suffering to be obedient to God in everything he did. Let me uh, say this about uh, one thing about the, the secret on this. Most of the time, I know when I did things, I did the right thing. And when it wasn't the easiest thing to do, but because of the sacrifice and the suffering that I went through, it revealed to me it was the right thing to do. In the end, it ended up being right for far too many. They think they've done their best uh, when all they did was write a check. Huh. No, sometimes in God's work, he needs more than your check. Amen? Yeah. I'll just mail it in. Huh? I'll just drop it in a plate. Yeah, I, that's nice. We appreciate that. The church can use it. That, that gives something for the trustees to count and spend in the right ways for God's glory. But sometimes it's a little tougher when God doesn't want your money, he wants you. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm a little too fat to sit in the offering plate. <laughs> Amen. And I know I'm too heavy for the trustees to carry to the office and count. Amen. I know I can't put a stamp on my back and let the postman mail me in to the job that God's called me to do. I got to get up and go do that job. I just can't mail it in. Amen. There's times when I just have to say, Lord, here am I. Use me. Amen. So that's what God uh, says in his word we should do. So I need to take my sin, my issues, my iniquities, to the high priest that God has ordained to make the salvation connection between me and my creator, Jesus Christ, and make that connection so that we're all working on the same page. That's what we call doing God's will. We need to connect with God in everything God requires of us to do. Amen. Turn with me. 
over into Hebrews, the 12th chapter. It's just a couple pages over if you got your Bibles. If not, Mike's got it. He'll help us out. Hebrews 12 and 1 says, Wherefore, seeing that we are also compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God, of the right hand of the throne of God. Amen? So here we have Jesus. It says in verse 1, wherefore, that's a study word, what's it mean? Based on what I just told you, wherefore, I'm going to give you the answer to what we just talked about in that text. What's the text in Hebrews 11? It's the Hall of Fame of Faith. It talks about all these people that in the Old Testament put their faith in God, and now God reward, is rewarding them for that faith. Wherefore, seeing that you and I are compassed about or surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. In other words, there's no excuse for you not knowing how to use your faith if you read chapter 11. But in chapter 12 is where we're at. He says we need to know what's going on here because we have all these people in our background in the Old Testament, but Jesus himself uh, steps up here and the faithful saints that we have around us today that are obedient to God's call in their lives, if they can do it, so can you and so can I. They made it, why can't we? Must not be that hard of a plan. If they did it, we should be able to do it. Where you got all these witnesses around us that show us how to do it. Amen, it shouldn't be a mystery. We can make it if we're willing to suffer for the plan of the author. Amen. So let us run, he said. Let's run this race. Amen. How many of you run a race? Amen. Well, the problem about races, and Paul talks about it in a couple places in the New Testament, um, in the race in the world, only one person wins. And everybody else finishes second or last. Amen? So what you got to do? You got to work hard at it. You got to set aside all the things that's going to slow you down. He says, let us run this race and lay aside every weight and the sin that would beset us or slow us down. Anything that would keep you from running the best race you could run, you need to get rid of it. Amen? If there's things in your life that keep you from being connected with Christ the way he wants you to be connected, I would part from it. I'd set it aside because I'd want to run so that I could be where I should be. Amen? I want to run that race to win. Amen? Because I want to be in the victory lap when I get to heaven with Jesus as my guide to make it there. And then in verse 2 he says, Look unto Jesus. There's no other place, no other way to go, for he's the author and finisher of our faith. <coughs> because he's the one that paid the price. He's the one that had the vision of joy when he faced the suffering. Amen. Have you ever went through suffering and said, man, this is tough. This is hard. But knowing when you got through it, amen. Now, a lot of guys that are mechanics say when they take the hammer and they swing and they miss and hit their thumb, 
you, boy, this is going to feel so good when it quits hurting. Right? The Bible uses the, the phrase, and I, don't, I can't relate to it, of a woman in birth. Amen? Travail, they call it. Or labor pains, however you want to describe it. Man, all she has to do is look beyond all those labor pains to know what's coming in the joy of a new life into this world. Amen. So you look past the labor pains. Amen. You don't forget them, but they aren't as bad as you thought once you're holding that baby in your arms. Amen. That's the same way it is when we work the way God wants us to work. He said he paid the price. He had the vision. He endured the cross. Amen. I can't even fathom what he went through on the cross of Calvary. He despised the shame. Everybody making fun of him. Sometimes we get people to give us an evil eye and we melt. We wither. We go back into a hole. We go into hiding. Amen. They call you a bad name. Amen. Yeah, we give up. Come on, guys. Let's be tougher than that. Amen. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was the proper position for the eternal high priest to make intercession for whosoever will for the people that needed to know the plan of salvation. Amen. You might say, well, brother, dude, so much about God is confusing. Well, I want you to know one more thing and then I'll close. Confusions of the devil. I can give you a Bible verse for it, but rather than that, I'll give you God's version. In 1 uh, Corinthians 14th chapter, verse 33, it said, God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God's not the author of confusion. If you think salvation's confusing, you're not reading deep enough. You're not thinking it through thoroughly enough, or you're overthinking it and trying to make it say what you think your tradition would make it say, and then you're not coming up right. Amen? So God is not the author of confusion, but on the other hand, he's the author of peace. Amen? As in all the churches of the saints. Here Paul is asking the churches to look around and not be the confused church that the Corinthian church was. Now I got to tell you, just like Hebrews, the, the overview of the book of Hebrews is connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament, the, the overview of First and Second Corinthians is taking a bunch of so-called Christians that want to live for God, want to do it, but have so much baggage, I'll just use that term, you know what I'm talking about, to even get a hold of God. Because every time Paul would say something that God wanted him to tell those people, they said, well, that's not the way we learned it. And my aunt didn't teach it that way. Amen. Old cross tracks, they don't say that. Huh? Paul said, we got to get beyond all that confusion. Let's get back to the basics of what God is trying to teach us. Amen? So here we have it. And he's asking all these churches that he looks around in the first century, he says, look to the saints. Who's the saints? The word saint means holy or sanctified. Set apart 
All the people that have given God what God wants out of their life. Look to those that have uh, read the author's plan and are following that plan all the way to victory. Amen? So who do we look to? We look to Jesus. Amen? The plan's complete now because the author who lived it fulfilled it and opened the door for all who are, want to obey it and receive it. Because to make Jesus the author of your life uh, and make him the pattern of your life, you need to follow the plan that he wrote for you. He's the author of eternal salvation. If you want it and want to know about it, you need to go to him for classes that he's teaching on it and learn the plan of salvation. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.